Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Let's read together. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in, the ma- in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just want to talk about a couple of themes tonight. And the first theme is shepherds, and the second theme and the main theme is the glory of God. So, first as we see this whole section, it starts and ends with shepherds. And these shepherds were out in the field, and they were out at night, obviously. And so, if you've been here in a part of this church, you've heard sermons where it's been discussed how the Lord has been pleased to take humble people and reveal himself to them and do his work through humble people. And certainly this is a case of God revealing himself and doing his work through very humble people. John Calvin says about this that um, our faith should stand in the power of the Spirit and not in lofty words of human wisdom or in any worldly splendor. So this inestimable treasure has been deposited by God from the beginning in earthen vessels that he might more fully try the obedience of our faith. If then we desire to come to Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those whom the Lord, in order to cast down the pride of the world, has taken from among the dung of cattle to be our instructors. Isn't that fascinating? Now I think this is absolutely spot on, that God does work in this way. He's constantly making himself known and making himself famous through very humble people 
and humble circumstances. But I think that the, the shepherds were intentional for another reason as well. And that is that God has, through the scripture, identified his people as being sheep. I think the first place I could find was actually Moses speaking about the people, saying to God, you need to raise up somebody to take care of them, because God had just told him that he was going to die. You need to raise up somebody to take care of them, because they're like sheep, and they have no shepherd. And so God fulfills this with Moses. But then we all know Psalm 23, where David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he goes through the entire psalm speaking of the way in which God cares for him tenderly like a shepherd and watches over him and disciplines him in every way. Jesus, when he was on earth, would go about and he would see crowds and multitudes of people. And in one place, it says he was moved, in, moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he told his disciples, pray that the Lord will send workers, caretakers, shepherds for these. First Peter says, for ye were like sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd of your souls. Jesus himself would openly declare that he was a shepherd, but not just a shepherd. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then we all are familiar, or many of us are familiar with the benediction in Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Shepherds. It's all through the Bible. Because we are sheep. And so the angels appeared to the shepherds. And these shepherds were keeping watch by night. What that means, keeping watch by night, that it was, it was nighttime. We don't usually say keeping watch by night. Do you say that? Does anybody say that? Well, this is a little King Jamesian. They were keeping watch by night. A few years ago, several of us went to Rwanda to work on a school building. We drove into the country to visit what was being built as a genocide museum following the horrible genocide of Rwanda. And we passed through on our way a, a very busy and small village. And we saw the residents occupied with their work in the village, just working some out in the fields, carrying water, doing different things. On the return trip, we passed through the same village, but it was at night. Now, it's a little different in Rwanda, out in the, the suburbs, at night. There's no electricity, and there are no gas lanterns. There may be some gas lanterns somewhere, but for the most part, in any of these villages, there were nothing but 
coal fires, charcoal fires, that they were preparing their dinner on. And that was it. And maybe a little oil lamp in a building. And as I drove through, I was struck by the darkness. It was dark. It was really dark. All you could see were some shadows of people as they passed in front of the little uh, fires where they were preparing their food. And I thought, ooh, this is very different. And this is where those shepherds were. They were out at night watching their sheep. But it was dark. It was really dark. And then it says the glory of the Lord shone round them. We're going to come to that later. Put the placeholder there. And they're, said, they're, they're told that there's going to be a sign. There's going to be a sign that the Christ is going to come to them. That they're going to be able to go and they're going to be able to see the one that God is sending. And they said, you'll find him here. He'll be in a, he'll be in a stable. And that you can actually go. They actually said, this will be a sign to you. It was just very specific. You know, we don't think about this as we read the text. Do you think about the fact that the angel was actually talking to those shepherds right there when he says, this will be a sign to you? I mean, we read it and we think, oh, that's a sign to us. Like, we're the ones that went to Bethlehem, right? But no, this will be a sign to you. There was something very concrete very, very physical for them to go and investigate. And the promise was made for them, and this was going to be part of their worship. They were told that there was a sign for them and that they would go and worship. We have these kinds of signs in our lives as well. We really do. We're commanded in baptism, we're commanded in the Lord's Supper. And these are signs to You. They're signs to you. And they're very real and very concrete. C.S. Lewis says at one point that Christianity takes a 20th century prig like me and tells me to drink the blood of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? He's something concrete that he's participating in. And that he's, it's making him think of the glory and the work of God. The angel is then joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts, and they say, glory to God in the highest. Again, we're going to talk about glory in a minute. So hold on. And the shepherds came in haste. They came in haste. I think they started traveling to Bethlehem right then. We don't know how far from Bethlehem they were. I'm assuming they weren't real far. I think they started that night, right then. Let's go see. They came in haste to see what was said to them. And again, it's like traveling in the dark. Have you done much traveling in the dark? It's very, very different. I was at Tim Bailey's and Mary Lee Bailey's house Friday night, and Tim has put a fire ring 75 yards from his house. And you travel there in the dark. 
And all you see is that ring, is a little bit of fire flickering off in those edge of the woods. And I didn't have my, I had my phone, but I thought, oh, I can make it. And I'm thinking, huh. But these men are going to make a trip to Bethlehem in the dark. And Annie turned to me this morning when Tim had read the passage, and, and she said, I can't imagine doing that without a flashlight. And it's true. You think in our lives the way that we, have to, that we have to live, but they were ready to go now, and they were ready to overcome all the obstacles looking for the Christ. And they came to Bethlehem. And you think about that Rwandan village I went through. Can you imagine? I imagine Bethlehem. At that time, they were set up for Christmas, right? So the street lights all had those big candy canes on them like you see in small towns. And they had, uh, like downtown Bloomington, they had their festival lights up. And so everybody knew where to go when Bethlehem, when the shepherds got there, they knew where to get, right? No, it wasn't like that. It was like that Rwandan village. If they arrived at night, they went up to somebody's charcoal fire. And they were asking, well, you know, you're never going to guess why we're here. We're, we're looking for the local stable. I mean, do you have several? We, we probably need to check out which one, right? I don't know how that all happened. But they were on a mission to obey God and to see what had been told to them that they would see. And so they didn't waste time. They came in haste and they went to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And they worshipped. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And they returned glorifying and praising God. So again, the shepherds are the first ones who come to worship the child. And they're the first ones that go and, and are evangelists about Christ. Isn't that fascinating? And then they're the first ones that get to go and worship and glorify God because of his arrival. What an incredible privilege that the shepherds have glorifying and praising God. Now I want to talk about glory for a minute. Because the sermon is glory to God in the highest. And it's difficult for us to understand glory to God in the highest in our day because glory has... Understanding glory is not easy for us because we live in a time where there's such a rebellion against everything that makes understanding glory possible that it's so difficult for us to understand glory. I was uh, listening to the Warhorn podcast, uh, I don't know when it was, a week or so ago, and, and uh, Nathan was talking in the podcast about uh, glory, and he was saying, what's the opposite of glory? And that sent me thinking and thinking and thinking on the question of glory. And I realized that uh, the question of glory is all entwined and mixed up with authority. It's all entwined and mixed up with our place and our station. It all, it's all entwined and mixed up with how we present ourselves to God. 
And so our ability to see glory, to know glory, to acknowledge glory, to even have the glory of the Lord shine round about us is all connected to who we are, what we know of ourselves, what we know of ourselves before God, and how we live in that context. And so tonight, if we're going to think about the glory of God, if we're going to think about the glory of the Lord shining round about us, if we're going to think about saying with the angels and the heavenly throngs, glory to God in the highest, we have to do so not from some kind of empty, rebellious, uh, external. I was, I was thinking of, and even as I was sitting over here tonight, I was thinking, well, who in the Bible, where's a good place? There are a lot of places, and I have them written down, but I suddenly thought of Stephen, you know, the martyr Stephen. He's, he's being stoned, and what does he say? He says, I see heaven opening up, and I see Christ at the right hand of God, right? But what did everybody else see? What did everybody else see? What did it say about the crowd that was around him? Did it say, they said, oh, the glory of God. No. No, they, they pulled their hair out and they gnashed their teeth and they took up stones and they pushed him out of town and they killed him. And he prays for them as he dies. But you see, this is the way in which understanding the glory of God is so connected to who we are before God and how we know ourselves and how we know him and how we live our lives. It's just all twined up together, right? And so every authority comes from God. We know that from the book of Romans. Every authority comes from God. And we know that we're not supposed to, to rebel against authority. And we know that we're supposed to embrace our lives before God in the proper, proper ways that we're supposed to embrace them. And we're supposed to look to God in faith for how he's made us. Every aspect of our lives. I think, I think that that's why the shepherds could see the glory of the Lord shining round about. And I think they were still afraid. I think we're all afraid when we see glory, or we're all at least somewhat, uh, what's the word? We have great pause, okay? I was thinking about this, so I asked a couple of people. I, I made a list for us to think about. Now, think about people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name some names here. These are people that are famous. You'll, under, you'll, you'll recognize some, you won't recognize some. But I want you to think about these people and I want you to think about glory. You know, in the Old Testament, the word glory just means heavy. And it doesn't mean heavy like when I get on the scale and the scale spins. That's not what it means. It means heavy, like weighty with, with consequence. Okay? And this is how it describes the glory of God weighty with consequence. This is who God is. His entire character is glorious. And so I got to thinking about people because we understand that we all of us have weight of consequence. Now, and again, I don't mean 
what you get when you get on the scale. I don't want you to start looking around and seeing who has, who's fatter in consequence than other people, okay? I just want you to think about, for a moment with me, people who are weighty in consequence. All right, so here's the list. You ready? Stephen Williford. Do you know who Stephen Williford is? Do you remember the church shooting in Texas? This was my wife's suggestion. He's the guy that ran out of his house with his rifle and started shooting at the guy that killed all those people. He's the guy that ran and stopped the pickup truck, got in and said, follow that guy. He's the guy that went with that guy till the, they, the guy finally stopped and they stayed right there until the police came. Now you think about this man, we don't know anything much about him other than he wept because some of his friends died in that church, right? But do you think about a man that would do that kind of thing and think, well, there's a light, insignificant person, right? No, probably not. How about Bill Meyer? Bill Maher. You guys know who Bill Maher is? How many know who Bill Maher is? Oh, come on. Okay. But more of you know who Bill Maher is than know who Stephen Williford is, right? How about Al Franken? Anybody know who Al Franken is? A man of consequence, right? How about this guy? This was my choice. I can't say his name right. <laughs> Alejandro Villanueva. You, guy who, you know who this guy is, even though I butchered his name. All right, he's the Pittsburgh Steeler, who after the Steelers had the meeting saying that in order so that they wouldn't have to kneel and suffer the indignity of people booing them during the national anthem, he's the one player that said, they all said, we're gonna stay in the, in the uh, tunnel. And he's the one player that said, uh, I'm not gonna agree to anything. And he's the one player that walked out at the time of the national anthem and stood at the entrance to the tunnel and everybody took his picture because he was a veteran of the war and he wouldn't do it. And he stood for the national anthem, okay? Weakling, light, consequential, Jerry Springer. Nobody knows who that is, okay. Mariah Carey. This last one I got from Will Tucker. I didn't know this person. Carrie DeClion. Does anybody know who Carrie DeClion is? She's the young mother in Michigan who found out she had terminal cancer in her brain, but she was pregnant. And she and her husband decided that they would forego the treatment that may prolong her life and that she would have her baby. And she died three days after the baby was born. Now, if you think about all of those people, you could, you could think about who they are before God. You don't, even, you don't have to think very far to think which ones are well-known and which ones aren't. Which ones are like shepherds and which ones are like Herod, right? You don't have to think very hard to think about that. But you realize that those that have weightiness to them 
are seated and established in the context of life and authority and truth. Some of them profess God and some of them don't say anything about him. This young mother professed God very boldly. Okay? But they live in such a way as to bring down upon themselves the glorious consequence of God. And so you have angels who live in the presence of God and they come to the shepherds and the shepherds see the glory of God because the angels come bringing down the consequence of being and living in obedience in his presence. And so the, the shepherds are, what the text says, sore afraid. And the Greek word for that, sore, is mega, megas. They are mega afraid. Okay? But these angels come bringing with them the consequence of God. And every authority in our lives should bring with him the, the consequence of being submitted to the holy God to whom belongs all authority and to whom belongs all glory. All glory finally belongs to God. All of it. All forgiveness, all authority, all the earth, all glory belongs to God. And so when we see people that we look and see glory on them, we see that glory because they're somehow reflecting the consequence of God. And when we fail, we fail at the very point of reflecting the consequence of God. So men, when we're fathers and we fail to lead our families and to bring upon ourselves the consequence of God, we, we deny the glory that belongs to him and we bring shame on ourselves, right? And so we have Jesus Christ born and he's born in a manger and it wasn't attended with uh, fanfare, and trumpets. It was very humble. But one thing was true. The glory of God was resting upon that baby. That child was living immediately in obedience to his heavenly father. And throughout his entire life, that consequence would rest on him. And so we see his his, his childhood, we see his youth, we see his ministry begin, and we see him constantly demonstrating the glory of God. And then he goes to a cross, and you think, well, that's horrible. There's no glory there, right? So why do we always talk about the glory of the cross if there's no glory? He was obeying his father. He was pulling down on himself the consequence of glory, the glorious Father. And so he's raised from the dead. And that's incredible. But then one day, guess what's going to happen? He's going to come in all of his consequence. That's what we have to remember. Tonight, we think about him coming in the beginning of consequence, but one day he will come with all of his consequence. 
And there won't be men pulling their hair out on that day. There won't be men gnashing their teeth on that day. They will either fall on their knees to worship and celebrate the glorious one who's come, or they'll call for the mountains to fall on them, to save them from, from his appearing. This is the Christ. This is the Christ. This is the Jesus who came and was born in a manger. This is the one that the shepherds came to worship. And if we're going to worship him, we have to bring upon ourselves the consequence of God's glory. Let's pray.